Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with Criterion Collection producer Curtis Cho. Mr. Cho produced the company's Blu-ray release of Kubrick's classic anti-war film, Paths of Glory. Well, Criterion had actually done the Laserdisc for Paths of Glory many years ago before I was ever part of the company. So I, I know that it was a title that everyone in the company who has been there since that time has loved and wanted. It's just that come around the time of DVD, the rights were not returned. It was something where, you know, the MGM felt that they could make their own DVDs, and it's perfectly fine. They definitely can. Uh, this is something where, you know, a lot of companies in the heyday of DVD decide to release titles themselves. Uh, it's just that now, you know, when when sales are kind of plateauing or flatlining, uh, it's it's become a possibility that companies that were opening up their libraries again, you know, they're they're making it possible to to have access to movies that used to be in our library right. that aren't any longer. So, you know, once that popped up, everybody left at it. I think Warner Brothers will always do well like two thousand one right. and Clockwork Orange. Uh they're never gonna have any problems with any of those films. Uh, you know, people will always be on the lookout for them and they'll always be able to to put out their own editions of them. But these earlier ones tend to end up being a bit more marginalized, a bit more forgotten. And, and right. you know, uh, unfairly so. I mean, when you look at something like Pass of Glory, you really see Kubrick in it, uh, in the shots and uh, the particular sense of humor and uh, the overall style in the atmosphere of it and the pristine photography. You see, you see his cinematic voice fully formed. And not only that, but, I mean, even though Fear and Desire was kind of a war allegory, but this right. is his first, like, you know, true blue war film, and right. war was a subject he always uh, would come back to in various forms. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's it it it's the... Uh, I would hesitate to say genre, but at least uh, it's the topic that he always ends up returning to, that's for sure. I mean, even if you look at something like Barry Lyndon, people may regard it first and foremost as a quote-unquote period piece, but it's ostensibly a war film. I mean, it, right. there's a great deal of conflict within it. So, yeah, it, it is a subject that definitely interests him uh, and has interested him for a long time. Fear and Desire is an interesting one. Uh, it's something where I, I guess it would have been a natural idea to try to figure out if you could include it as a supplement on Paz of Glory just because it would have been an early work of his, but, you know, in meeting the family, they were pretty adamant about the fact that they didn't want it released because he didn't want it released. He had, uh, you know, basically disowned it. And mm -hmm. with that being the case, I thought, you know, uh, as much as it may be an interesting thing for people to end up seeing, I, I definitely didn't want to do something against the wishes of the family. And, uh, well, in, in talking, you know, Criterion has, you know, set the standard on mastering when it comes to personalized it has been now in DVD and Blu-ray. And Kubrick was, 
But Kubrick was also very adamant in the quality of his uh, of the negative and his material. Right. So I'm curious in this in this instance, uh, what what kind of shape was Paz de Glory in uh, as far when restoration came about? Well. the element that we used was in remarkably good shape, and the reason why was because it was actually taken from a restoration print that had been made by uh, the University of Los Angeles, uh, the UCLA Film and Television Archive. They had already set about to restore the film uh, so that they could show it. So we used their their restoration as the basis for our further restoration for the DVD. So it I... I don't know what they, you know, what what condition their material was when they first started working on it, but it was already in in terrific condition. So mm-hmm. I, I would have to say that in this case, it it wasn't as extreme as say something like Stagecoach, where right. you know our our MTI department was working uh, feverishly, and it, it still looks beat up. It looks as good as I think it's probably ever going to look. But mm-hmm. it, because the elements just aren't there, uh, they're, they're, it's impossible to find something that's pristine. In that case, it's it, it pretty much made that one a tough one to work with. And then, and then the thing about Kubrick, you know, in you know, the, the later the, the later films, starting, you know, I guess you could say start with like Strange Love, but more so with 2001. There's always seems to be a wealth of material for their for the DVDs and Blu-rays yeah. and so forth. The Path of Glory, which is really uh the film that the first real Kubrick film coming off of his, you know, very stylish heist film, the the, the killing. Yeah. And so the supplements on here so it must have been interesting to to go back further and try to find supplements for this early material. Well, it was. I, you know, the thing about those Warner Brothers productions is around that time he had settled down in the UK uh, and in St. Albans, and because he had and uh, he wasn't moving around anymore, he basically was able to save every single thing he did. Uh, every note that he might write down on a scrap of paper or a napkin, you know, he saved it, put it in a box and saved it. For these earlier films, he was still moving around. He was moving from New York to L.A., things like that. So he had to self-edit his collections. I actually went to uh, the Stanley Kubrick archive in London to go through there and figure out what was available. And for these earlier works, uh, there, there really wasn't a lot available in the sense of uh, ephemera, the sense of deleted scenes, say, or film. Uh, there were actually no film elements within those archives, whereas for, I think, Full Metal Jacket, they have quite a bit. I didn't right. get a chance to look at it, but I think it's there. Uh, in this case, for Paz of Glory, it was primarily stills, and you really get, you know, those still save me with my edits. They're they're all over the video edits that are on there with Christiana Kubrick and Jan Harlan and James B. Harris, so in a certain way, that trip was definitely not fruitless, and it was great to see all these images. I mean, I actually have an image of uh, Timothy Carey's double in there, which is pretty terrific, but um, it, it is something that's different uh, in as an experience because, you know, you, you go through, to be able to go through physical media that someone saved uh, and kind of channel their thought process it's a pretty terrific thing. I mean, I don't know if something like that would be possible now 
with productions that are going on because so much of it is electronic. You don't really get to see a handwritten note all that often. Right. Probably a, most likely be an email, which wouldn't be as fascinating to see. You know, you really you know when you see something that has a little coffee stain on it, you know that this person was there working on this this document at that time, or a little hand scribbled note. And that, that is something, you know, I'm sure everyone's fascinated by this. So, I mean, so you went to the Stanley Kubrick archives, and so i got to just ask, on a kind of as a cinephile film yeah. buff, what, what, how is that set up? I mean, is it done by year? Is it done by film? It's how, done how by they... film. Uh, they, they have a cataloging system, and, and I have to say everybody at the archive was great, uh, and it is open to the public. It is something that if you happen to be in London, uh, as long as you get in touch with them beforehand and let them know what you would like to look at so they can prep in advance, uh, they can schedule a time for you to go in and you can go take a look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's organized by film, so I basically told them that I was going in there to look at their Paths of Glory material. And they uh, just figured, you know, talked to me to figure out what it was that I wanted to include. And, of course, most of it would be visual because, you know, this is going to be on a DVD, although I did still go through reams of paperwork that were there just to go through it and see it. And also because in a certain way it was interesting to corroborate what people said in interviews. Um, When I interviewed James P. Harris, he was very specific about certain things. And I just wanted to double-check a lot of these details that he was bringing up. And uh, it proved that this guy has got uh, a steel-trap mind still. He really remembered every single thing in sequence because I was looking at the production schedule, the shooting schedule, and it matched up entirely with what he was talking about. So there, there are all sorts of papers of that sort. There are screenplays, uh, not multiple versions of screenplays. I think he probably didn't save every single one, unfortunately. But in this case, there was still a great deal of material to go through. But it was, I, I would say, the the majority of the Paths of Glory stuff that I saw was stills. Do you know if he saved the reviews? Uh, there were a few, actually. There were a few reviews in there. Uh, there was uh, one from the New York Times, which was favorable, but surprisingly uh, a bit critical in relation to uh, the, the the lack of fake French accents in the movie, which is actually, you know, that's something that I happen to really like about the film, is that nobody is trying to pretend to speak English with a fake French accent. Right. That That particular review took it to task. For that aspect, there were there were some reviews in there, but I think uh, it wasn't as extensive on that front as probably I would encounter if I went to the Academy Library in L.A. or right. uh, the Research Library, the Billy Rose Center here in New York. I, I, those places that focus on the reviews probably uh, would have retained more in this case because it was his material. I think he probably just saved a handful, but not every single one that came down the pike. Come to think of it, yeah. I did I did see uh, his little uh, mailer that he sent out. It was kind of like a postcard for, it was an invitation for Academy Award screenings, for Academy screenings of Paths of Glory. That was pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> and so and so you were there in the, the interviews, as the, these present-day interviews on, on the DVD Blu-ray. Yes. And uh, before before I ask about doing those, I got to ask. So you interviewed James B. Harris. Yes. So I'm just curious. Did you before you got started? Did you get to ask him about Cop? 
I, I I talk to him about his movies because I'm actually a fan of James mm-hmm. B. Harris's films. I think uh, you know the Bedford Incident is terrific. I like Fast Walking. Uh, you know, he's, I think he's a really interesting filmmaker in his own right. And Cop, I think when I first was in touch with his production office, I was kind of raving about that movie because I still personally feel it's the best, or at least the most uh, faithful and atmosphere uh, James Elroy adaptation yeah. I've seen. Uh, I think it's the best one. I think it's got the most amazing ending. <laughs> One of the most satisfying endings uh, a film could have. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, he he's a very humble guy, so he didn't sit there uh, uh, saying, uh, you know, yes, I knew it was a masterpiece. Uh, he he talked a bit about problems in relation to funding and studios, things like that. And he was happy to hear that he had fans, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it was not something where he, he he's he's not an egotistical man. Yeah, but it was a real treat to meet him. I have to say, I I, uh, I think the guy's great. I know he's still trying to work out there in Hollywood. I hope that something comes together for him because I think he's still talented. Yeah, I mean, Cop is one of those films when you meet someone who's never seen it, you want to immediately show it to them. Yeah. Well, and so what was it like? To, uh, the the Christine Christina. Christiana Kubrick. What, what was that interview like? Were you there for that interview? Yes, I was there. I did. Every single interview on there, except for the obviously the Stanley Kubrick one, that was the audio piece. Uh, but the new video interviews, I conducted all of them, and uh, the Christiana Kubrick one and the Jan Harlan one were great. Uh, you know, I uh, first off, I would not have been able to do those interviews were it not for two people. One is Leon Vitali, who supervised the transfer. Uh, of this movie, actually, part of the, the transfer and restoration process for it. And Leon Vitale played Lord Bullingdon in Barry Lyndon. Right. So, and he's been a long-time, I don't know, technical assistant for, for Kubrick. And then he put me in touch with Jan Harlan, and Jan got me uh, in touch with Mrs. Kubrick and agreed to the interview himself. So he set up time for me to actually go out to uh, Chigler Prairie House out in St. Albans to interview them there. So I actually was able to go to the Kubrick home and wow. interview both of them there. So that in and of itself was marvelous. It was, a, you know, as a fan uh, of this particular person's work, it was a massive experience for me. It's definitely not something I'll forget. And and, and both, both were exceedingly generous. They were great. Mm-hmm. They didn't force me to, you know finish in a certain time or anything like that. They were they were very open and very giving. Right. And there is there's an extra that's not on this D V D or Blu ray, but it's on it's online and uh, I I think it was there was attempt to get it on the D V D Blu ray but it the, the Kirk Douglas interview. Yes, the Kirk Douglas interview. It, right. I, I have seen it online and it is unbelievable. Yeah, um, no, it's a it's a riot. I, I think what really makes that one interesting is just you know half the lines of questioning that uh that mike wallace poses him are so out of the blue but it's also something where when you see kirk douglas answering and you see him really uh thinking so swiftly to every you know to every single off the wall question and and then just throwing it right back at mike wallace i mean if mike wallace starts to get aggressive with him he gets aggressive right back but in a very polite way uh, it's pretty pretty riveting to to watch, but unfortunately that one 
uh, I don't know, I can't really go into why, but there there were a lot of parties that had to be satisfied in order to get the piece, and I just never really got a response from some of the parties that were required to sign off on it. So, uh, you know, without being able to get everybody's permission 100%, it just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, you you look at that interview, and like I said, it can be found online very easily. You look at that interview, and you can, you think about maybe, uh, you know, a star today being asked those questions, and chances are they would storm off or oh yeah check, well I don't I don't I think a publicist I think a publicist would probably just step in and say you can't ask that <laughs> end of interview right. you know I mean I think probably half of the interviews that that end up getting done for television programs things like that are are almost pre-filtered you know they have to know what the questioning is going to be things like that so there 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 is an aspect to this particular program where it's so unrehearsed clearly uh, mm-hmm. And yet, even though it's unre- unrehearsed, it's not a train wreck. It's something where there's still very coherent thinking going on and uh, lucid responses, but uh, ones that really just don't, you know, he, he he doesn't take any grief from Mike Wallace at all. <laughs> it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it is phenomenal. Well, and to, to start wrapping this up, and that uh, it, it is kind of amazing this Path of Glory's package, and that. Kubrick has been a part of Criterion, in, in mostly in Laserdisc form, but of course yeah. there was the, the the Spartacus also DVD, which is uh, still the preferable uh, edition of Spartacus. Uh, right. The recent Blu-ray is kind of a a rather mixed bag, uh. if you will, put it diplomatically. <laughs> uh, but this one, I mean, but like I said, as I stated earlier, this one is interesting in that it is this this early pre. Uh, you could almost say pre-iconic Kubrick uh, yeah. film. And that seems to be... It's interesting that I, I think for Kubrick fans, it's kind of one that uh, it, this 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 edition seems to offer it in real context in that this is the, the beginning of that, of what is known as, you know, a Kubrick picture. Right. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I agree with you. I think it is something where this is the movie where everything is formulated, uh, the dark sense of humor, the distinctive visual style, the moving camera, that kind of Ophel's influence, moving camera, the long takes. Uh, if you look at it, you see everything from Full Metal Jacket to The Shining in it. Uh, you see a lot of uh, thematic and visual obsessions of his that mm-hmm. pop up in later work. It really is... You know, I, I I I like the killing a great deal, but I agree with you. I think this is the one where the the emotional content of it, and this is something that I think a lot of people end up taking Cooper to task for unfairly. I think his movies are actually very emotionally involving, but a lot of people don't feel that. But the emotion in this movie is as potent as the style, and in the case no, of the killing, that, but this this has a rare. This has an instance of actually uh he offers a uh something interlude akin to re- of, yeah, redemption almost. <laughs> redemption and, and hope and yeah. he didn't offer that uh that often in his films. Oddly enough, the one could say the the other film where he did have that was actually his last film. Yeah. Yeah. In a certain way I, I maybe even two thousand one has right, right. that's fully transformative. It's it's there. Yeah, it's true, but I, 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 you know, I don't think, 
I think he was pessimistic, but not devoid of hope. <laughs> and I, right. I, you know, I think it probably uh, his feelings, as reflected in his work, probably uh, shift constantly as it does for anyone. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think probably any given day, people end up feeling having more uh, negative or positive feelings depending on how the day went. But uh, yeah, it, it it really is a movie that I think epitomizes everything that we know Stanley Kubrick to be. I, I, I hope that this DVD is going to be able to bring attention to those early works again. I think they have been, in a certain way, forgotten. Uh, right. And, and uh, you know, not not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, I, I fully understand why people return to movies like The Shining and uh, Clockwork Orange and and uh, Barry Lyndon over and over and over. I think Barry Lyndon is probably the one that I watch the most out of all of his movies. But mm-hmm. this one really continues to have an impact. Uh, I think its uh, its content is just as resonant today as it was back then and just as meaningful towards today's society as it was back then. 